podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, want to win tickets to one of the big games in London this autumn? Well, your wish is our command. We have teamed up with DraftKings and set up a brand new Nat Coombe Show Listener League where you can go head to head every week with all your faves from the show and plenty of your fellow show listeners. Lots of prizes on offer throughout the season, including the chance to win tickets to Broncos, Jags later on this year. You've got to be in it to win it. So head on over to dkng.co forward slash Nat Show. dkng.co forward slash Nat Show or Hit the link in the show bio, the show episode notes, or head on over to Twitter at the NC Show. Check the pin tweet, click the link there, and it'll take you to the Nat Coombs Show Listener League. Get involved. Eligibility restrictions apply. See website for details. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. The guru James Sandrini in the house. I'm guessing over the last couple of weeks, since the last time we spoke, you've been in the Himalayas at some kind of uh, self-made temple, praying, channeling the gods of fantasy to get you set. I mean, that's how a guru prepares for the fantasy season, right? I heard you were getting drunk in Ireland and thought, what's the alternative (laughs) to that? How else can I play this game? And yeah, you're right. Just come back. The diametric opposite. Hey, I was strictly business and I, let me be clear about that. <laughs> Ollie, on the other hand, I mean, where is Propo? Once again, it's me and you left our own devices. Oh, because I'll I'll edit afterwards is the, is the you, message I got. You left him at Dublin Airport, didn't you? Yeah, that even he hasn't he hasn't been seen since. <laughs> he hasn't been seen since about three AM on the on the Sunday morning. Just a quick shout out to all our friends at College Football Island and everybody, all our new friends that we met over the the whirlwind seventy two hours we were in Dublin. What an experience it was! I cannot recommend it enough next year because these guys are putting a five year run on right. Uh, Notre Dame in the house next year. I mean that is going to be off the chart. But shout out to all the organizers. The the experience james and you've loved ball for a long time and i've been lucky to be at many different events that you would describe as special uh, over the years this is right up there in terms of experience i mean the aviva was rocking the nebraska fans made noise they were outnumbering northwestern five to one but as a result of that the northwestern fans were uh were stepping it up as well of course it turned out to be a brilliant result for them and this was a team that was under fire the manner of the victory the game was great just the the aesthetics and the environment it was a beautiful clear sunny day 5:30 kickoff so it had that wonderful sensation which i'm sure a lot of listeners have experienced whether it's a, a ball game or or you know elsewhere where the dusk starts to settle you know that the, the sunset mm-hmm. comes in and that is was the key end of the game as well so question was, for you now yeah did you find it really a, a very different atmosphere to an NFL an NFL game being played in Europe yeah I did I, I I think distinctly different if not dramatically so um and that is obviously on the surface level straightforward enough with the pomp and ceremony that you have with college games the marching bands most notably and they didn't bring over the the full works for logistical reasons but it was strong enough um so that that was very distinctive of course the style of fandom because the majority of nebraska fans and indeed northwestern fans that were in that they were that were wearing the colors and cheering the teams were had flown over or at least 
well, yeah, I guess had flown over, if not from America, the majority had, but from different parts of Europe and were full on card carrying hardcore fandom. A lot of the NFL London games, just as a comparison, there's an element of that, but it, it tends to be more the NFL world, right? Everybody wearing their different shirts, flying the flag, enjoying the game. Um, so that, so the veracity of the fandom was a little bit different. Um, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was different. And I guess as well, I was on the Northwestern sideline. So we were there recording the show, pushing stuff out, but I was also emceeing the game, uh, in, in the stadium. Shout out to Lauren Withrow, who was brilliant, uh, who was tag teaming that with me. So we were, you know, doing bits on the field, uh, getting stuff for social as well and other video pieces, but right in the thick of it, it is my point. And on the Northwestern sidelines, right by them. And that was different as well. I mean, I've been sideline at big games, Super Bowls, and it's incredible. But this was different because you're watching a real cross-section of players, the walk-ons that are just every 10 minutes, just soaking it up and soaking up this once-in-a-lifetime experience. Players that were leading that team, that victory meant so much to them, watching how the ebb and flow of the game was going uh, and the the passion on their faces, being up close to that was great. It was super special. And like I say, it's a five-year run. So that's one down, four to go in Ireland. So get involved with that. We're going to be working with the guys over, uh, you know, over the next 12 months uh, and hopefully a lot longer with them, uh, helping build this whole thing up. And they, uh, they're a great crew, great crew. Sabrina, Rachel, all the guys, shout out. You did a brilliant job. Uh, and thank you very much for having us. Right, Mr. Sandrine, let's get down to business. So for those of you new to FFS, because we've dropped a couple of episodes, but we are stepping it up. We're going to be dropping weekly throughout the season. We're going to be covering regular fantasy, daily fantasy. And speaking of daily fantasy, we've had quite a lot of messages in on our social channels at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, still no TikTok, uh, asking, well, how does it work exactly? I want to get involved, but I don't probably understand it. So next week's show, next week's FFS is going to break down the basics for those of you that haven't played, aren't totally sure about how it works, um, as well as featuring our picks, our tips, our steers for week one, because the whole fundamental point of daily fantasy, unlike standard fantasy, is you can pick a new team every week. You just go again, you reboot every week. So each week, we're going to show you how to do that, give you tips on how to do that. The Guru Sandrine is going to pick an NC show team which we're going to pit against, well, the whole wide world on DraftKings. But also the same team is going to feature in our show Listener League. So we've created a show Listener League. We've been pushing that out a bit on social and some of the other shows, the NC show. And you can get involved with that. Go against us, go against your fellow listeners. And we're going to have different competitions all through the season, all kinds of different stuff. Merch, right now, the big competition that we're pushing is tickets to Jags, Broncos at Wembley. And we'll outline exactly how you can win them. But you've got to be in the Listener League to do that. Uh, any profits, incidentally, that we make from the NC Show teams that we put out there, that James Sandrini picks for us each and every week on DraftKings, all the profits are going to go to charity. So anything, no pressure, James Sandrini, that you make on DraftKings, the profits are going to go to charity. So get involved with that. Daily Fantasy is a lot of fun. And we are going to, with the Show League, be pitting our skills against yours, against each other all through the season, and we go again each week. Right. Let's get down to business. Let's start with injuries, because at this stage of proceedings, of course, as rosters get aligned, players are getting cut, injuries stepping in, which is affecting decisions in terms of front offices. Uh, of course, they all have 
to a stronger or lesser degree, a fantasy impact. So we're going to look at some key injuries over that have happened over the last few weeks and work out what that means for fantasy. So let's start with my favorite named rookie, Drake London. He of the mid-80s screwball comedy uh, cast as the baddie. Drake London, the Falcons rookie receiver, had a knee injury a few weeks back. How much action is he going to miss, James, do we think? We're assuming he plays week one, but we don't know how healthy he's going to be. And I think when you look at a rookie coming into this situation where they are not going to be competitive this year, they're going to want to nurse him along relatively slowly if he's not 100%. So how much we see from him week one, week two, uh, to be seen, but I would think they probably scale him back slightly. And that just opens the door for Carl Pitts, who we've seen run essentially the Mike Gesicki role, essentially being a receiver uh, with a tight end name tag today. Uh, we expect a, a big few weeks from Pitts while London gets up to speed. If, uh, if Gesicki is a receiver with a tight end name tag, what would you be? <laughs> Backup quarterback uh, with a kicker name tag. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking there's a joke three weeks in about being a podcaster with a different name tag, but we'll leave that to the audience. <laughs> you were bigging up the uh, backup quarterbacks. Uh, I love that as well, because I was watching the Jets-Giants game. We'll come on to that, I'm sure, in a bit, actually. But the Jets-Giants preseason game, Flacco went out. Joe Flacco went out and um, Mike White came in and <laughs> the comms were having this quite sincere and earnest discussion on the who's going to land the number three spot on the depth chart. I mean, backup quarterbacks, number two is one thing. The number three quarterback might be my new favorite position in football. It's what we should all aspire to do. Like Chase Daniels made something like 15 million plus in his career. And I think he's thrown about 30 footballs. Also, one thing that's uh, really unfortunate, I saw this news this morning, Chris Streveler, who might have been the player of the preseason, who was uh, competing for that number three role, was cut. So he's lost out to to Mike White and Joe Flacco. And it really just undermines everything you see in the preseason. Because if the best player yeah. from the entire preseason can't make a roster, then uh, I don't know what it says about everyone else's efforts. There's no hope for any of us. Hey, just quickly back on Drake London. I was reading an interesting stat that in his first two seasons at USC, he was in the slot almost the entire time, 96% of the time. But then that changed to 85% perimeter in 21. And that was his standout campaign. So where do you think the Falcons are going to use him? We see this a lot with college players where he was behind Amon Rasson Brown and Michael Pittman uh, in his first two years at USC. So his role on the outside with two players there, particularly with Pittman, who's a you know mature big body receiver, he wasn't going to get those reps. He's also an early declare. So he's a young player still coming through. No surprise that he did move outside and he was dominant when he got the opportunity to do so. If he wasn't injured, he could have had a record-breaking um, final year at USC. He's going to play outside. I, I do think they, they might mix him up in the slot a bit as a big slot, particularly early on in his career to try and manufacture him some touches. But he's an outside receiver, and particularly when you've got Pitts in the middle of the field, which is where we're expecting him to play regularly, albeit you know he might play outside the numbers on occasion. That's where London has to be. Okay, uh, next up uh, in terms of injuries, well, more ground game woes for the Ravens. Gus Edwards on the pup list. He's missing at least four weeks of the season, they're saying. J.K. Dobbins is getting back following the ACL tear. So looking at the depth chart, however much uh, you read into that at this stage of proceedings, Mike Davis listed as the number two on the depth chart. So is that the way we look there for the Ravens, if you want a bit of ground game action there? Yeah, week one, he's going to be a big pickup in DFS because they play the Jets, who aren't good. So, mm. we're well, front seven's improved, sure, but we're still expecting the Ravens to win that game. Uh, we're also expecting the Ravens to run more this year, even without Gus and JK potentially being available in week one. So, Mike Davis is probably the guy there. Tyler Beatty 
is an interesting alternative. He's more of a pass down back. Uh, we know that Lamar historically hasn't thrown an awful lot to to the running back either. So, you know, his role is is up for debate. But early on in the season, particularly with Dobbins coming back from an ACL, we often see players need a full season of, of gameplay just to get back up to speed, uh, particularly at the running back position. So this depth chart is, is wide open. And it also wouldn't shock me if they brought in another vet if they don't get Gus and JK back up to full health by mid-season. Lev Bell back in the NFL after his back boxing. Back in the game. Had, did we check how, how he did in the boxing? <laughs> we should we should find out. I think I need, to, uh, I need to find. I can't believe I didn't. Lev and your people. I'm sorry. Let's. I'm looking it up live in real time, listeners. Lev Bell boxing. How did Lev get on? Lev. Oh, it's postponed. No, it was postponed. <laughs> Has been postponed. Why? Due to the main event, and then it cuts off uh, tantalizingly. It's been called off. Why was it called off? Here we go. This is breaking <laughs> breaking news that ran about a month ago. Um, did he hold out? Oh, because the ah the main card, the card's main event, which of course is between two YouTubers, of course it is, uh, that fell through, so that uh, they didn't uh, they didn't get to fight. I wonder if um, that's been reshaped. Did he hold up? Oh boy. Okay. Well, uh, Ravens uh, then looking to run the ball heavily, as as uh, the guru says. So Mike Davis, sneaky good pick. I wonder if he'll be in our. Uh, Fantasy week one or DFS week one team next week. Right. Uh, let's go to Dallas. Good news, bad news. Good news that Michael Gallup looks set to go. Gallup, of course, there were questions about whether he would be ready. But that's bad news for James Washington, who would, of course, profited, benefited from the absence of Gallup. So where's Gallup in your fantasy projections? What kind of round is he typically dropping it? Is he a sneaky good late round pick? He's a late round pick. I think early in the season, he's another player who's coming back from an ACL tear. Early in the season, you wonder about the efficacy, but Dallas doesn't have a great degree of weapons. They're going in with Lamb, who's had his issues in preseason with a with a cut foot, I think. Uh, Schultz, who was a revelation last year, but we're expecting him perhaps to, to return to the mean, regress to the mean somewhat. So they don't have too many weapons on the outside. Tony Pollard might be the one who really wins by playing in a slot ball. Once they can get Gallup back to play on the outside, it does change what they can do because Lamb is very effective in the slot. Schultz is over the middle. Pollard, we just spoke about in the slot. So for me, getting Gallup back is absolutely vital, particularly with that Washington injury. Washington's out for the year. Gallup, I would think, plays week one. But again, like London, you question how much he's able to do. So two quick follow-ups on that. Who's the big red zone threat for Dallas this year? Are they going to split it up? Schultz is, uh, is that guy. But I think Jalen Talbot, who's the, the player we haven't spoken about so far, the rookie out of South Alabama, he's going to have a role. He'll play outside. We don't really know what we're going to see from him. He was a third round pick from a small school. But mm. there's a lot of hype in uh, Dynasty in particular about his value because this is an offense that's so fantasy happy. You know, it's pass friendly. It's uh, quick uh, in the play clock. So they should provide opportunities for Tolbert. But again, a rookie coming in, we just don't know how much Dak trusts him. Okay, that's the Dallas receiving core. A month or so ago, a month of change ago, we could have looked at Denver's receiving core and said, well, it's a top five crew, maybe, arguably, the best in the NFL. Sutton, Judy, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler. I think we might have even talked about that on this very show. Patrick tears his ACL a month ago, out for the season. So things have changed. What does this mean specifically for KJ Hamlet? Do you think his stock has risen significantly? It was a heartbreaker with Timmy P because he's an undrafted 
guy, you know, someone who who made his way through the depth chart and seemed like he might have arguably even a top two role in Denver's offense. Judy, by all accounts, wasn't lighting it up in camp. For Hamler, I think he's a very volatile option who we're going to see go deep. We know Russ loves that moonshot deep ball. He might have some weeks where he's catching six for 120 and two scores, but he's going to have some weeks where also he's he's not in the playbook an awful lot. So I think, you know, handle with care, uh, a very mm. good best ball option, potentially DFS, but but less so in standard leagues. Okay. The, just on the Judy point you made, Judy came into the NFL a couple of years back as in that terrific draft class as perhaps the, the most NFL ready, right? In terms of uh, our friend, uh, college days legend Ben Isaacs was saying at the time and has maintained that he is perhaps the smartest route runner when he was coming out. And he has had, of course, he missed Sutton in his first season, which impacted because there was more pressure on his shoulders to to deliver as a rookie. But it feels like he hasn't necessarily lived up to the expectation. And, and what you were saying about his preseason, how worried should we be? Or do you feel that Judy is going to have a breakthrough yet? He hasn't created separation in the way that I think Ben Isaacs and many prognosticator would have hoped he would have done because he did it so well in college. One of these theories about Alabama wide receivers is they get so much out of them at the college level that they don't have an awful lot more in the ceiling when they get to the NFL. And we may be seeing that with Judy where he's just not taken the leap that you might have forecasted him to do. First season wasn't spectacular. That happens with receivers. I don't think we're too worried about that. In his second season, he started quick and then was injured and never really recovered from that. Plus, Denver had all sorts of struggles in terms of QB play offensively. They they weren't moving the ball well at all. So I think with Judy, we should be looking at, well, this is the year. You know, this is a make or break for him in that system, particularly with Tim Patrick going down. He's going to be on the field in two wide receiver sets. He's going to be on the field, you know, basically every passing play you would imagine. Sutton mm. on the outside. If Sutton is your your Tyler Lockett, you know, does that make Judy a, a, an undersized DK Metcalf? Let's see. I, I think he's going to have a big year, but I think we have to temper expectations. A big year for Judy's probably not in that, you know, 14, 1500 mm. yard range. Uh, I, I would think if he's getting, you know, five or six receptions a week and hitting 60, 70 yards, you're probably quite happy with that and the odd score along the way. Okay, cool. Let's talk, uh, stay on the injury tip for a little bit longer. Matt Stafford, his elbow has been the cause of lots of chat really over the, uh, the last couple of weeks, both in terms of fantasy and the real world. So in terms of the former, should, should buyer beware here? Because Stafford, I guess, is a top 10 quarterback. I'd play Stafford between 8 and 12. Depends on how much reward you're getting for rushing scores or, or passing TDs. This is akin to elbow tendonitis, we've heard, which in baseball might lead to Tommy John surgery and being out for an extended period. They they want to manage it. They feel better about it by all accounts now than they did you know, midway through the preseason. But he's a week-to-week watch for me. I think it wouldn't be shocking at some point in the season if we saw John Wolford under centre. Yeah, Wolford the backup there. And uh, there's a lot of buzz about him uh, in the future. So it'd be interesting to see if he gets some serious action and how he handles that. All right. Interesting, uh, both in terms of fantasy and of course the the Rams and that wide open NFC Stafford's injury could be quite critical in the trajectory of their season. What does that do for the ground game there? Let's bring it to the ground game because both Cam Akers and Darrell Henderson have knocks. So you would assume that if they are, particularly in the early weeks of the season, trying to manage that Stafford injury and perhaps leaning on the ground game that little bit more, their options are limited there to some degree, right? 
you'd have to think the smart play would be to take the ball out of Stafford's hands, Stafford's hands a few times a game where otherwise they would throw. They're very throw-happy in the red zone, or at least they were last season. So we might see more red zone rushing attempts for an Akers or Henderson. The issue, to your point, is that we've only just seen Akers put in his first full practice for a while. Henderson still hasn't. Both have had soft tissue injuries, undisclosed injuries. And that's a worry when teams are less forthright about the issues players have had. Akers obviously back from the torn Achilles coming into the back of last season. Wasn't 100% healthy, we have to assume, in the playoffs. So we don't really know what we're going to get there. Jake Funk is probably the number three. Kyron Williams, who's a rookie, came in, broke his foot. We're not going to see him for a few weeks, probably longer. So it, this is a really difficult one to figure out. My expectation is that Akers plays week one is in is the dominant, you know, 70 to 80% share back, but perhaps not with the efficacy that we we saw from Akers in his breakout rookie season. Yeah, okay. Uh, Akers, such an interesting player and I'm worried that he's one of those players that's going to, be held back by Knox through his career. Let's. I really hope he has a breakthrough year to get to the time on the field because he's got so much upside. Uh, speaking of upside, Jake Funk, would that be in your top five DJ names? The guru. Well, obviously, DJ is the guru. But if you didn't, DJ is the guru. Would Jake Funk only because up? Jake Funk was taken? Yeah, <laughs> fair. Put it that what way. Would, what would you play? What would the guru play? Uh, I think we're playing uh, Brazilian Acid House. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's a thing, but but if, we, if it is, we're it's a it. thing. I'm certain it's a thing and we're playing it. Even if it's not, we'll make it. Uh, one more on the Jets. I just going back to the Jets. And we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, the Flacco uh, and Mike White stepping up and the Strebler situation there. And of course, the Jets fans in meltdown, really, with the prospect of Flacco marshalling their offense for the first four weeks. Uh, uh, is there any chance White gets the starting? Well, firstly, Zach Wilson is, is what, two to four weeks, they've said. That he could play week one. He could play week one. That's the latest, I think, is that mm. he's questionable. I don't think they will, because again, they're not in, chances are, they're not going to be in playoff contention this year. He's a right. second year starter. Don't rush him. And and particularly he had injuries last season. He's obviously injury in this preseason. I would think they take it slow with him, but they, they haven't ruled him out. Okay. So if he doesn't play, Flacco gets the start. Do you think there's any shot Mike White starts? I think Flacco starts. I think they Does he finish? Believe... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, it, it, it could be akin to a... Somewhat, somewhat of what we saw last season, but a few years ago with Fitzpatrick and uh, Winston in Tampa Bay, where they chop and change. That's not out of the realm's possibility. I think with this offense as a whole, I'm not sure you have to downgrade anyone in the offense. You know, we weren't really banking on Wilson having a, a major leap, at least early in the season. As much as he finished his second half in 2021 was better than probably most people realize, but. Mm. The difference for me is that Wilson is an off-platform thrower. They want to get him outside the numbers to make those difficult throws that look incredible on tape. And, you know, that's, that's his real highlight material. And that allows receivers to get extra time to get away from their coverage. And players who are very good against zone, you know, and can really feel the zone uh, benefit greatly. What this does with a Flacco is that, you know, this is a quarterback who's, who's not mobile at all at this point in his career, probably never has been really. Mm where this may benefit a Michael Carter out of the backfield with more more opportunities, more dump-offs, more checkdowns, and also anyone who's going to go up and get it. So in this offense, that might be more Garrett Wilson and less Elijah Moore. But I think the one actually we'll see who who's a bit of a, a, a sleeper dart throw early in the season is Corey Davis. What about Denzel Mims? Because there's talk that he wants out and the Jets don't seem to see it that way. I mean, he had over 100 yards in the in the game against the Giants, but do you think Mims is likely to get dealt? Do you think he'll stay? 
And if he I does mean, the, get there, what what kind of spot would be a good fit from Tennessee? Maybe. I feel like in twenty years, we're, someone's going to write the ballad of Denzel Mims, and we're going to find out what happened because he was a <laughs> early round pick. He has all of the uh, physical talent, but he's been buried with the second and third team throughout most of the time with the Jets. It doesn't seem to be an attitude issue. It's obviously, mm. well, from what we understand, it's a playing issue. He needs to go somewhere to revive his career, a la Nikhil Harry. Yeah, okay, that's a that's a really good comparison. All right, let's move on to just a bit of breaking news uh, over the last 24 hours. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but everybody's reporting it. Uh, everybody who's anybody... Uh, stateside, insider side. So I think you can count it as a done deal that Garoppolo and the 49ers have agreed uh, to stick together for one more dance, at least a restructured one-year contract worth six and a half million in fully guaranteed base salary is what is being reported, but it could go all the way up to 16 million if all bonuses are reached. Uh, The contract includes a no trade and no tag clause. It's basically locking in Garoppolo as Trey Lance's backup. Now, do we think, obviously this is to a large degree because there hasn't been a a market for Garoppolo for for a number of reasons. And that isn't necessarily a knock on Garoppolo's stock per se. The situation has dictated that there haven't been any any suitors for him. I guess Seattle would would have been the most logical spot in terms of all of the teams out there right now that could do with an upgrade at quarterback, particularly after... The devastating news for this show that Drew Locke didn't get the starting gig. I'm still recovering from that. I found that news out in Dublin. It definitely took the edge off um, the trip, but they've gone with Geno Smith. As a result, a lot of people were saying, well, Garoppolo still hasn't been dealt. The 49ers aren't going to deal him until late in the day. And that's after the Baker to Carolina move. That was the only real logical place he's going to land, unless there was an injury, right? And of course, the 49ers were, uh, were looking to see if that was going to happen in camp. So that has affected this to a degree, but nevertheless, what do you make of the the scale of the deal? What does this tell you, if anything, about concerns they have about Trey Lance? Is this just, we've got one of the better backups, if not now the best backup in the NFL, locked in for a year as a championship contender? That That's good business for the amount of money we're talking. What do you make of this news? I don't think this has anything to do with Trey Lance at all. I think they looked at trading him. They didn't find a partner, partly because of his contract, you would assume. This new contract makes him more tradable. At worst, he's there for a year and then obviously he leaves as a free agent, which is probably a handshake deal that was always going to be there if they couldn't figure something out. By all accounts, they didn't want to trade him or they weren't 100% sure in trading him to Seattle, sure. obviously within the division, which they might have, have been concerned about. And ultimately, this is a team that wants to play for a Super Bowl this year. So they're willing to invest the money to have a premier backup, even if he doesn't play, because Mm. of what that might mean for them down the stretch. So I don't think Mm. you should downgrade Lance at all. Garoppolo probably spends the year on the bench. It'd be highly surprising if he comes in, except obviously in the case of injury. And then he walks next year and gets a starting gig. Okay, uh, let's move on to looking at some vets. Don't forget the vet is how the gurus dubbed this part of the show. These are players that are going outside the top 50 in terms of their average draft position, typically vets, hence the name, that could have big upside. I particularly like this feature, and I hope it's uh, something that we come back to uh, on occasion, because as we've established many times on the show, my fantasy strategy over the years has been to take players that uh, were good three or four years ago <laughs> and, uh, and could have one last hurrah. That's always how I've played it. Uh, there are a number of players here, maybe not quite that extreme, 
but the number of players here that uh, I think do fit into broadly that mold. Certainly, I like the idea of aging vets with upside. So I like that a lot. Incidentally, we have, outside of our NC Show Listener League on DraftKings, we have our own 12-team Dynasty Fantasy League, which features lots of friends of the show in there. Propo, Asmir Begovic, Ben Isaacs, the guru's in there, I'm in there. Uh, Marek has a team as well. Marek Larwood has a team. Lots of friends of the show, uh, incidentally, Marek Larwood on the show later on this week. We're going to do a Hard Knocks Lions special. <laughs> Cannot wait for that. So he's going to drop by a bit later on this week and do that. So lots of friends of the show in his dynasty league. And there is a spot up for grabs. There is a spot up for grabs in our dynasty league. Uh, to win it, you've got to join our DraftKings Daily Fantasy League. So our show listener league over on DraftKings. We're just going to pick one of you who's joined that league at random to win a spot in our Dynasty League. How about them apples? So get involved. Uh, we're going to be doing our draft. Oh, we better get a, a wiggle on with that, Guru. We better do that early next week, I'm guessing, the draft. So we better, we're going to be picking a winner, let's say, by Monday. The Look at this. I'm just I'm calling the shots because Propo's not, not here. <laughs> Monday the 5th. We're calling a winner by Monday the 5th. And we will announce that on social. And we will have the draft, I reckon, probably on the Wednesday, is my guess. Wednesday before opening night is my guess when the draft's going to be. So get involved with that. Dynasty League, they're a lot of fun. And you can uh, watch me be spectacularly mediocre <laughs> and come 10th out of 12. Uh, but maybe uh, maybe there's upside for me this year with some of the picks you're going to give me and give us now, uh, James. So let's look at players that are going outside the top 50 that could have big upside, starting with the brilliant Cordell Patterson. He had, this stat blew my mind, as many touches last season, 205, as he had in his four previous years combined, 220. Uh, and out of those touches, 31% came through the air. And that accounted for almost 60% of his fantasy points per game. I mean, it was a sensational season for Cordero Patterson. It was pretty much the only thing worth watching in Atlanta last year. But what about this year? Is he, to borrow your phrase, going to return to the median or is uh, it going to be another standout breakthrough bumper year for him? With the vets, the key to this is that while there's rookie fever throughout preseason, many of them aren't able to contribute until a team's bye week or after or well after in many cases. So the role of the vet, particularly early season, shouldn't be underestimated. And CPAT's a good example of someone who knows this offense they design plays for him because he has a unique skill set. He's not someone who's going to run a huge amount of variety of different uh, running back plays. He's going to be throwing the ball on an outside run, on an outside zone more often than not. And what we would expect is him to have a bigger role within those first six to eight weeks, maybe. Last year, to your point, early on in the season, until he had an ankle injury about halfway through the year, I think November, he was dominant. You know, he was an RB1. He was receiving, I think, six targets a game, which is elite for that position. He had five receiving touchdowns during that span. So I don't expect him to have quite that season, but he's a mid to low RB2 to open the season. And I think for at least the first half of the year, you're getting more value than you're having to spend on him in what at the moment is the ninth or 10th round. Okay, Tyler Lockett up next. I'm guessing his value plummets with the news that Drew Locke isn't starting, right? Uh, I mean, how far down the board did he go? A notable hit, unfortunately, for Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Why is Tyler Lockett on your list? Because I guess there's not a huge amount of optimism 
about the Seattle offense, or is that the point? Is that does that make him a safety play go to guy that's gonna fill his boots? Irrespective of the format you're playing in, you want players that are going to win you a week. And Tyler Lockett's shown throughout his career that he's lacked consistency, but has had these incredible spike weeks. Those spike weeks aren't going to be quite as strong without Russell Wilson. I don't think we're going to see him catch three scores in a game this time around. But if we look at his finishes in the last three years, wide receiver 16 last year, wide receiver eight the year before that, wide receiver 13, he's been a high-end wide receiver two at worst. Okay, a lot of that with Russ. But if we go back to the 2018 season... Seattle had a league low pass rate under 50%, which in the modern era is bizarre. You know, that would only come out of uh, Seattle at the stage. He was wide receiver. Or an Urban Meyer offense, of course. Or or perhaps, yeah. Um, He was wide receiver 16 that season. Last year, he had the most fantasy points of anyone in the top 25 with that few number of receptions. So, look, he's a big play receiver. They still want to throw the ball deep in that offense. I don't think you're going to get great consistency, but in a flex role, he is someone who could win you a week. All right. Chase Edmonds up next. Very excited uh, with uh, my colors on the table about uh, Chase Edmonds. First shot at being a lead back, of course, uh, in Miami. So will he deliver, do you think? Underrated. He's someone who has, I think, a lock on the on the workload. He's going to be on the field every third down. He's a great player in pass pro. He's had 60 targets the last two seasons. They're paying him $6 million guaranteed. Raheem Mostert. Is That's Garoppolo kind of money, that. <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm not sure who they prefer at this point. We'll see at the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's an unfortunate tour dig, but he's like, he's getting paid. He's got the the likely that workload shored up. Perhaps he only plays 60% of snaps. He, he might not be in a JT role, but for someone again, who's going seventh round, he's a smash to me. Okay, Matt Ryan, another player that I'm very excited about seeing because I've always liked him. I'm big on the Colts this season. I feel this could be one of those twilight years, fairy tale kind of finishes that we're seeing here. He finished 20th in fantasy points last year. Um, of course, now he's got a decent rushing attack behind him for first time in a long time. And of course, this is the year of Top Gun Maverick. James Santrini. So are you a big fan of the ice mat this year? Great reference. Thanks, man. So Matt Ryan, his first five games last season, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, three interceptions. That was with Calvin Ridley. Afterwards, the wheels fell off. He had three games of 280 yards plus in his first six and then three more remaining in the in the final 12. So He's someone who we think still has it. He led the league in completions in 2019 and 2020 in more pass-happy, pass-friendly offenses. But Ryan going under Frank Reich, who's a noted QB whisperer, they're not going to ask him to do quite as much as he did in those previous seasons. But with such a strong running game, him in play action, Michael Pittman on the outside, I think he's he's again undervalued. He's coming in on, on DraftKings at the moment, about 150th player, uh, well outside QB1 territory. And I think he's going to have more QB1 weeks than not. Adam Thielen, average draft position of the mid-70s from what I can work out, which, I don't know, to me, to the untrained fantasy, it seems pretty low. I and Mike and I talked up the Vikings' credentials for uh, the season, and we feel they can be bona fide contenders by all accounts. If that's the case, it's highly likely that Adam Thielen's going to have a year back to close anyway to Thielen best. So mid-70s feels like a steal, right? 
100%. Yeah, this is a game of roster construction. So Thielen, we don't expect to play all 17 games. He hasn't for the last three seasons. That has to be factored in at this stage. But when he plays, he's an easy start. He's the tallest member of the receiving crew, including tight ends. He is the red zone threat. Mm. We know he's got this chemistry with Cousins. The stats back it up. He's had 24 scores in the last 28 games. That is phenomenal. This offense is good, but it hasn't been historic over that period. So he's not going to play every week, but when he does play, you start him. All right, two more. Amari Cooper, another one of my faves, uh, as long-time listeners will know. Suffering, I guess, because of the um, quarterback situation in Cleveland. But should we flip that, given whether it was in Vegas or Dallas, his reliability and consistency over the years, that he'll be the lead go-to guy? He's the clear number one in this offense. There's no one else to, to threaten him. His career stats as a number one aren't breathtaking. He, he's never had an incredible target share. The best receivers in the league get more than one in every four pass plays and he's never he's never managed that. But this is really all about Deshaun Watson returning for the fantasy playoffs. And Nat, for your teams, having uh, spent some time observing them over the years, <laughs> the, the key is to have a team that peaks at the right time. And Amari Cooper is one of those players that perhaps doesn't do an awful lot for you throughout the course of the season or just sort of breaks water as your wide receiver three flex play. But come the fantasy playoffs with Deshaun, who's going to have something to prove, whether you like him or not. And considering what they're paying him, we have to assume they're going to be more, they're going to pass more than they've run historically. He could be someone who's who's a league winner. Are you Do you think anyone's going to draft Deshaun in our dynasty league? Yes. Well, Me. I've... If you well, I'm going to throw you out of the league if you do that. Just, <laughs> just to be clear, you'll be kicked out of the league of the show. You're not allowed to draft him. Jameis Winston is the last player we'll look at here. Yeah. If you're glass half full on New Orleans, then Alave rolls immediately. Thomas is back to near his best. The Kamara situation is as bad as expected. That defense is balling as well, which means obviously that's going to have uh, a knock-on positive impact on the offensive playmakers in that respect, James is worth a roll of the dice. He's need to have on the roster if they suddenly start to start to fly because keep the minor problem of interceptions down a little. Yeah, what bit Sean Connery there on, on interceptions. <laughs> the minor problem of those down, then then he's a decent upside pick, isn't he? We spoke about Matt Ryan being quite a safe pick in those you know, later round QB stakes. Winston's going after him. Last year in New Orleans, without really any weapons of note, he was first in fantasy points per drop back. Basically, he scored a lot of touchdowns without many throws. But he proved his efficiency. He wasn't wasteful. He didn't create turnovers. This season, they might have one of the top five, eight, skill position players in the league with Kamara there throughout yeah. the course of seasons we're expecting. Michael Thomas, Chris Alave, Jarvis Landry. Yeah, Jarvis. I, I, yeah look, I think we're going to see more consistency from him. Um, he is in the same scheme he was in last year. That's huge, I think, for a player like Jameis who, who needs to work from what he's given. You don't want him to go off platform too much, off script too much. So for me, he's got top 10 upside and you're not paying anywhere near that price. Loved, don't forget the vet. The top work there. I want to bring that back. I want to look more at that throughout the season. We're going to make that a regular thing, I'm sure. Uh, and as I said, at the top of the show, we're going to be picking our week one. We're giving you our week one picks, including our daily fantasy week one team on next week's show. And we are running FFS all through the season. Before we get out of Dodge, James Sandrini, I just want to talk for a minute or two about handcuffs because there are certain things 
again, a lot of listeners out there, you maybe dabbled in fantasy, played a little bit, haven't really... It was quite funny. I was watching the chat in our, one of our WhatsApp groups yesterday between you and Propo. Propo doing his first draft of the, of the season. Maybe that's why Propo's not here because his draft went so well. He went big. Um, doing his first draft of the season, presumably from a bar in Dublin where he's still based. And you were firing a whole load of serious deep dive stuff at Propo. I'm convinced he understood about 13% of it. Uh, and on that note, I think there are there are plenty of our listeners, football fans out there who, sure, get the basic concept, constructs and concepts of fantasy, but would like to build their knowledge. And that's very much the, the point of having the guru along for the ride. So we're going to pick different things and, and drill down on that. Handcuffs is something, a term that we hear a lot. And I think most of our listeners will know the basic tenets of it. However, for those that don't, please explain it. And then just drill down for a minute or two on the best strategy, how you approach, who to target, give us a, a masterclass, a 60 second masterclass in handcuffs. So handcuffs purely in fancy terms mm -hmm. is, uh, relates to a backup, usually running back who, if the starter were injured, would come in and play a large amount of snaps. And, and it's a, again, a broad church. There are all sorts of different players who come under this mantle, three key types to look out for. One is the, Alexander Matteson archetype. So if Dalvin Cook goes down, Matteson plays 90% of snaps and basically is a like-for-like -like replacement. Those players are very valuable, tend to go off in the ninth, 10th, 11th round uh, of a redraft league. The other side are players who would have a big opportunity in a very explosive offense, but aren't necessarily the clear backup or aren't going to get full workload. So in this case, this might be someone who's in Kansas City or San Francisco where we the, the, it's quite cloudy who would be the number mm -hmm. two. But if you struck it right, like a Trey Sermon or a Isaiah Pacheco, a player like that, they could have a three-down workload or a significant two-down workload that would get them uh, some scores. The other side, the last one, are the Naheem Hines types, the satellite backs who have standalone value even if the starter plays like a JT, but if Jonathan Taylor were to go down, Heinz's workload would increase and we'd see someone that again, might not play all the snaps, but would be in a position to get great fancy opportunities. Brilliant. Love that. That was pretty much bang on 60 seconds as well. You are a pro James Sandrini. Uh, and speaking of which, if you want to get more insight from the big man, Twitter is the place to do it. Newly on Twitter. So we've got to give him some love. NC Show Faithful. Uh, go and follow James on Twitter. The handle, James? So it's RealPoliticNFL, R-E-A-L-P-O-L-I-T-I-K-N-F-L. Joining Twitter in 2022, I, I've likened to uh, Tom Brady winning his uh, peers' respect as the top player in the league, according to the NFL, at the age of 45. I'm <laughs> late to the party, but it can still be good. <laughs> you were thrilled about that list as well. Hey, we'll get into that, I'm sure, next time because we're out of time. But that list is, uh, yeah, is divided opinion. I know you think you feel Aaron Donald was robbed. Was Rob. I can't believe Mahomes was, what was he, eighth, ninth? What the, what the hell is going on? What are you, I'm big on the Chiefs this year. I tell you what, the Chiefs and the Saints, I'm starting to lean that way. Uh, right, great stuff. Uh, at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, still note, TikTok, follow James on Twitter. We'll put his handle in the show notes as well. So uh, make sure you get behind him because there's great stuff that he is going to be dropping outside of FFS all through the season. We're back for week one previews next week. FFS right in the thick of that. Redraft leagues, daily fantasy that we've talked about. 
mm, only 27 times on the show already and everything you need to know all through the season starting with week one getting close to kickoff cannot wait brilliant stuff James check in soon thanks man Cassie. Podcast Network.